What is up, everyone? Jason Vest from the After Ed Podcast, and I am here live from VCU campus. Uh, See, I guess I'm not really live if you're hearing this as recording, but I'm here right now. Uh, I love being down here. The energy's crazy. Uh, Always a lot of learning taking place, but uh, just such a positive vibe, and I thought, uh, what better way uh, to introduce my guest today on the show uh, than to be down here in a vibrant place like this. So uh, my guest today is Rachel Mann. Rachel Mann uh, is a PD director of an innovative school uh, in Arizona. She's also the co-author of The Martians in Your Classroom, uh, STEM in Every Learning Space. And uh, wow, I just have to tell you, uh, this is one of the greatest interviews I've done. Uh, we don't beat around the bush. We get right to the point about what STEM really is, uh, why it's essential uh, for our students today, and quite frankly, we, we get at the heart of some of the issues, why teachers are really scared of what the future is, perhaps even more than students. Uh, so, without further ado, Rachel Mann. Okay, and all right, I'm recording on my end. All right, everybody, welcome today to this edition of the After Ed Podcast. I'm fortunate today to have co-author of the new Amazon best-selling book, The Martians in Your Classroom, STEM in Every Learning Space. Uh, Rachel, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Jason. I'm really excited to be here. All right, so, Rachel, I love the title of the book. How did you come up with it? You know, we had several different titles that we were thinking through. The book is an education version of some. my co-author, Stephen Sanford, who's from NASA. He had written a book called The Gravity Well, which is a fantastic book. Every educator should read that. But it's a very... It, focuses a lot on the economic and political side of space. And as we were talking about it and looking at creating this education book, there were several different titles, but there was a statistic about how the first person to step foot on the red planet has already been born and could be a student in our classroom. And it just made sense if you think about the idea that the kids in our classrooms could literally be the first Martians. That is pretty wild. And it changes the way you think about education. And it's, it's just a powerful statement. So I uh, we talked about maybe doing, a, referring to it as learning space. And then we're like, well, let's tie it all together and just call it the Martian classroom. Because I think that it could be, you know, the Martian learning space wouldn't flow quite as well. And we went from there. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned the learning space piece because that was actually going to be my next question. So I want to take the title one step further. And I have a feeling why you chose uh, the phrase every learning space, but I I want to give you a chance to say why. All right. If I I, I want to hear your viewpoint too, if it's not the same. So when I think about the word classroom, it seems antiquated. And I think that moving away from even what the words that we use, how we name things, can change our perception of education. And learning space really expands it from just being this classroom where you're just learning within these walls of a school building and from a classroom to where you're also collaborating with other content areas. So blurring the lines between subject areas and creating just a true authentic learning space and making it to where it's not your traditional learning space where kids are lined up in chairs and desks facing a teacher. Teachers are facilitating the learning, but kids are exploring, innovating, creating, and 
and really, really having an opportunity to make mistakes, to get frustrated, and teacher, the, the, even the title of a teacher, this isn't in the book, but looking at the title of teacher in a different way, coming up with, with different names for what we call our educators, I think can also help to transform education. Uh, that that's pretty much it, and and I would argue, uh, and I know some people would argue against that. It, it's not just semantics. I mean, there is a definite change in mindset when you say learning space as opposed to classroom. And you're you're right, and I have the same thought that it it really does, uh, you know, propel us forward when you talk about learning space because that can look different. Uh, one of the pillars that we have in our county is talking about uh, anytime, anywhere learning. And for me, um, while your book is Martians in your classroom and you're mentioning every learning space, uh, I have to think that you acknowledge that learning can happen anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be during that set time in that set class. Absolutely. And even expanding our classrooms beyond just the people that are in our communities and in our schools to connecting with classrooms that are around the globe to find ways to really connect our students and expand that learning space, not just in time, but in and who's involved in those processes. It could even be inviting guest speakers in to, to Skype into your classroom and answer questions and uh, communicate with your students. There's just so many different things we can do to uh, transform transform what our learning spaces look like. Well said. Okay, so let's get to the heart uh, of the book. And um, full disclosure, I I haven't been able to read it yet, um, but I will. Uh, But I'm interested, how does STEM uh, really get students ready for life after high school? When you think about the big problems in the world around us, whether it is something related to uh, cybersecurity, I was just writing an article for for ACTE's Techniques Magazine, so my mindset is really into this whole concept of smart cities and what travel is going to look like in just a few years and flying cars through VTOLs with Uber, ride-sharing, all these different pieces and how we're becoming so interconnected. So there's a lot of big problems that can occur, and not just there, but within our healthcare systems, within thinking about even solutions to getting it to Mars. All those things require STEM solutions. So science, technology, engineering, engineering and math are huge, and they really are subject areas that can be incorporated into every content area. And sometimes I have people ask why I did not include the A, STEM for STEM, include make it the include the arts as well and have STEAM in every learning space. And I think that that design piece is so critical. And I think that sometimes when people hear STEAM and hear it expanded into the arts, they have this misunderstanding. They're thinking of coloring and painting. They're not seeing that design thinking and that design that goes into those areas. So I think that those pieces are crucial to incorporate as well into that whole concept of, of the solutions we're going to be looking at in the future and the problems that, that are going to occur as we continue to grow and evolve as a society. All right, so those are the potential career spaces that um, kids will eventually get into. Those are kind of the, the big real-world problems that they will um, have to tackle. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the adults. And, uh, you know, they will never say it, but I feel like anytime that uh, I hear someone talking about it or I'm talking about uh, this quote-unquote new future, 
Um, quite frankly, I think we scare the crap out of a lot of educators and both teachers and administrators because I think deep down that there's this fear that they will or maybe they already have become incompetent or at best irrelevant. So what do educators need to change um, both in their mindset uh, or pedagogy to really be prepared to meet the needs of this generation of students we're talking about now? And that's that is a huge question, and I and I really like that you're acknowledging that fear piece. It is easy to become comfortable in what we do in education and to just keep doing those same things, but it's not servicing our students. And we think that public schools and government that there's this monopoly on education. That is true, but I don't think it always will be true. We're already seeing this huge growth in charter schools, but what people don't see is that even homeschooling, and according to a lot of statistics, is the fastest growing form of education. So if we really truly believe in education and truly believe that what we do in public schools matters, then we need to look at, and, and I'm distinguishing district public schools versus charter schools, and I, I'm, I'm a fan of school choice. I think that there's always those kinks, and that's another podcast that we need to work through, but I think that if we want to remain relevant, then we need to look back past that fear and figure out what it is that's coming. Every educator needs to be a futurist. We need to be able to predict what's coming because if we if we're not looking at that future for our students then we're we're doing them an injustice with justice we're robbing them of their time by teaching them things that they're not going to need in the future i think that we need to if we look at statistics we need to incorporate a lot more augmented and virtual reality into our learning spaces because even according to dell technologies that's how we're going to be learning in the future it's not going to be knowing something just in case you're going to know you're going to be learning in real time and being able to make choices quickly and uh, being able to find that information quickly okay I, I want to kind of follow up on something that you just said there and just from your perspective why I know that in pockets, we are moving towards a, a focus to use your two examples, augmented reality, uh, artificial intelligence, but why are we not there? Why are we so slow to adopt these um, technologies that, with, without a doubt, like you just referenced, Dell, are going to be very prevalent in our society? Why are we not doing more to get them in schools? Well, I think there are several things that are happening. One is that resistance that you mentioned where in it, within education, we play it safe sometimes. And part of that is because we're publicly funded. We have to, there's a lot of stakeholders that we're trying to make happy, which is why education, public education can sometimes move very slowly is because of all those different hoops we have to jump through. So that's one. Another is a lot of folks just don't know. They, they're, we have educators who are overworked, who are just trying to get everything done that's required of them to prepare students for these tests, even though these tests might not be what these kids need for their future. But regardless, we have a lot of well-intentioned educators who are overworked, overburdened, who they don't know what the future has in store or what these statistics are. And then we also have a lack of partnerships between business and industry. I think that if we truly want to move forward, we need to see more partnerships where they're getting involved, sharing this research, coming in, 
donating their employees to help prepare students to co-work with teachers, which is actually happening in some places, such as West Mac, where I'm a director of professional development. But those partnerships are, are critical, they're so crucial in, in advancing in what we're doing. Yeah, those are those are all great points, and, and I wish I could share, and, and maybe I will off-air, but we're in the process of, uh, as a district meeting with a really big um, player here in the city to try to formalize a partnership um, on a pilot level with, with my course um, that I'm teaching next year, uh, but then to see what we can do um, as a district as well to create an opportunity and experience that, uh, you know, again, another educational buzzword that is real world and authentic um, for students. But, you know, I have evidence anecdotally, uh, albeit last year when we put kids in a true work collaboration setting, uh, they thrived on it. So you're right, it's multifaceted, but um, we have to be deliberate and we have to be better about creating those. And I think that the buzzwords you use are good buzzwords. Those are important ones. There are certain buzzwords we need to retire, but authentic and real world are are what we're moving towards. We need more of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. So look, I am I'm putting myself out here on this one, and you know that's what we want to model for our kids, right? So uh, I've been an educator for a while, um, but I'm going to be in unchartered territory myself this coming school year. I've always taught history and civics, um, but this year I will be in charge of revamping our tech ed program. Um, that's going to have a heavy focus on STEM, um, but also. Uh, really rooted in um, what we did with our pilot program last year, which is design thinking and entrepreneurship. So these are, uh, they were eighth graders last year. This year it will be sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Um, so you get... That is exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, but I'm going to ask you a really tough question. So knowing that, that I'm getting into a CTE field, I'm getting into a STEM field, what do you think is the single most important thing that I need to focus on for next year? Single most? That, that's a big, big question, but I, I'm just off the cuff. My first instinct is to say focusing on allowing your students to be frustrated. We give away answers too quickly in education, and this is something that that is a, I harp on sometimes because I think back to even how my father, who uh, was one of my biggest influences in my life and just really taught me a lot, he, he would let me get frustrated and struggle with my learning to the point where one time I broke the telephone cord and because I was trying to stretch it back before cell phones, <laughs> stretch it to do dishes while I was talking on the phone. And instead of fixing it for me, he was an electrician in the mines, so he could easily fix it for me. He had me sit there and figure it out. Like I was sitting there with a the knife, cutting apart layers of the cord, trying to figure out how, how the phone cord worked, what it did, and I fixed it. And it was frustrating, but at the same time, it helped me to think. And I think that in education, we are so quick to give kids the answers. And I think that if you give your students problems that you don't know the answers to, have them figure things out, give them even tech tools. You said that that whole tech piece, give them tech tools that you haven't learned how to use yet, have them figure out how to use it, and then teach the class those things. 
I think that that's going to help them to become thought leaders. It's going to help them to be able to really advance in what they're doing and to not, to be able to be independent, to have some agency in their learning. That's great. And that's going to bring me back to a point that you were making earlier about bringing in uh, or focusing on um, AI and um, virtual reality, I think. Uh, But ultimately, yeah, last year when I piloted that course, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship. I didn't know anything about design thinking. Um, But when we partnered with uh, VCU, um, we... Basically, I learned alongside the kids all year and, you know, asking uh, how we really move uh, the needle forward in education to have teachers adopt new mindsets and, and new technologies that they don't know anything about. I think they just have to be totally vulnerable and upfront and open with the kids. And then you were talking about labels. Then we really do change um, what our role is, and we become learners alongside the kids, which then creates a whole opportunity for an even better uh, open culture within your classroom. Oh, I, I, I can't wait to find out more about what you're doing with your program this past year and what's coming up because it's so, it's fascinating. We don't see that in education enough. And I'm guessing, too, that since you were learning it with your students, that the focus may not have been so much on grades? Not at all. Never never once came up, and I have so many uh, conversations that we have had along the way about focusing on the learning as opposed to the grade. Uh, so many, uh, I'm, I'm smiling when I say this, but heated <laughs> debates on uh, what an advanced diploma really means at the end of high school and is college really necessary. You know, those big conversations that... Uh, a lot of times we don't have with our kids. And these were things that they brought to me that just being in an, uh, a situation where they, they were forced to think for themselves and solve those problems, um, these things just naturally came up. So it was, it was is, a great experience. That's that's, I, I think that that's another, another piece, too, if I were to choose it. The second biggest thing is letting, letting kids fail and not be penalized for it. Really looking at that whole learning process and what they're learning from their experiments. And uh, that's, that's exciting to hear of a class where that is not the focus at all, is the grading piece. All right. Rachel, you got through the... Easy questions. Now comes the segment where it's the rapid 10 and 10, and you're going to be asked 10 questions, and the only thing that you have to try to do, uh, although no one ever does, is answer the questions as quickly as possible. All right. All right. First question. Coffee, tea, or water? Coffee. Back roads or interstate? Back roads. Which is the better view, sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Favorite team in Arizona? Diamondbacks. Best concert you've ever been to? Uh, Dave Matthews. All right. Three people you'd like to have dinner with? Elon Musk, Elon Musk, and Elon Musk. I somehow think he probably has three different ways that he could talk to you there. I think so. (laughs) All right, so look, you, you somehow managed to convince him to have dinner with you. Um, I need, a, and this one's very specific, I need a specific restaurant in Arizona that you would take them to. 
I'm going to say uh, the whining pig, and that's because it's not where you'd usually take an Elon Musk. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Best movie of all time? Matrix. Other than you, who should everyone that's listening to this right now uh, be paying attention to um, in the education space, STEM space, wh- whatever space? Um, who should they focus on? Stephen Sanford, my co-author. All right, so the class that I uh, have referenced during this show, um, they are all eighth graders, former eighth graders, getting ready to start high school in just about a month. So I want you to think back, um, have your perspective then and now. What is your best advice for one of these kids getting ready to start high school? Don't take yourself too seriously. Great advice. All right, Rachel, man, I know how I found you, um, but for everyone listening that wants to know more about you, uh, your work, or your book, where can they find you? At Rachel, E-D-U, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, E-D-U, so two A's in there, on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and visit my website, rachelman.co, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, M-A-N-N.co for links to the book, blog, resources that you can use in your classroom, any additional information. All right, sounds good. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Jason. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, everybody. What's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter at MrVestRVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. Also, if you want to check out what my students are doing, from this innovation class that I always reference. Check them out on the various social platforms at InnovateHC. That's the number eight, InnovateHC. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day.